0: the Sharing the Heart of the Matter podcast, where we look for inspiration on the journey to discover what matters most. I'm Win Leon, and in this episode, I'm with my co-host, Vicki Atkinson, and we are talking to author and blogger Pete Springer about his book, They Call Me Mom. Pete, an elementary school educator for 31 years, tells us some heartwarming and also some heartbreaking stories that came from his years in the classroom. As he worked To educate kids and help to raise a generation of decent people, he captures all the lessons he learned from the unfiltered goodness of children. He recalls his early days on the job, wanting to walk in and prove himself, but also finding out how much on-the-job learning happens as a teacher. So he pays homage to how hard and also necessary it is for new teachers to be vulnerable and ask for help. Pete speaks to the level of trust that's necessary to connect with students to create a positive learning environment, and it comes as no surprise that some of his former students still trust him enough to have their stories included in his book. At the end, we ask Pete about his thoughts about the future of education, and also what he's working on. And he shows us that it's possible to teach through writing. This is a great episode about teachers, learning, and the best of community and collaboration when we come together to support both educators and students. I know you'll love it. Hi, Pete. Hi. Vicki and I are so excited to have you here today. It's just so fun to talk to you about your book, They Call Me Mom, which is just absolutely perfect this time of year, back to school. Your story about becoming an educator is so compelling. Could you read pages eight and nine from your book and explain how you found your calling to teach and return to college to become an educator?
1: Sure. I should give you just a few seconds of backstory about that. You know, I I graduated from high school. I'm excited to move on to the next phase of my life, except I didn't really have any idea about what I wanted to do. And so I was kind of expected. I'm the youngest of four boys. My, My three older brothers had gone to college. That was kind of my parents' plan for me. But the idea of going to college when you don't really know what you want to do, of course, the fallback is, well, just take some general ed. And yes. so I took um, police science classes and no, well, right away I found out that's not what I want to do. And I'm I'm strong in math. I took accounting classes and I you know was like, well, I'm good at this, <laughs> but it's, I'm not passionate about this. And so after the first year, I... Um, had an opportunity to to leave the nest, which um, sounded pretty good when you're 19 and you're ready to free free your wings, so to speak. Yeah. So I, I ended up moving in with a, a friend five hours south in the Bay Area, and things went pretty well. It was a really important year in my life because it forced me to grow up and take a more serious look at my life. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so that's where this begins with me having to go home. And I never took that for granted because I had a safety net. I didn't wanna go home, but I had no choice. Uh One lesson this experience taught me was to have compassion for the downtrodden. A couple of bad breaks in life, And any of us can go from a life of luxury to living on the street, wondering where we might get our next meal. I had the good fortune of being able to fall back on my family for security. Having to go home after living on my own was a very humbling situation. But I've always believed that life is about learning from each experience. I could either wallow in self-pity or set a goal and start trying to achieve it. Shortly after I moved back home, things began to turn around for me. My friend's dad was a special education administrator in the county school system, and he must have heard that I was back in the area looking for a job. My new job was being a one-on-one aide to a boy who had muscular dystrophy in a special day class. The student, who I'll refer to as William, was at the point in his condition where he walked part of the day with the support of leg braces and he spent the rest of the day in a wheelchair. He was a large boy and when he fell, his teacher was not strong enough to help him get to his feet anymore. This is where I came in. If William fell, I could lift him back up and he usually could regain his footing if he were wearing his braces. Even though he was my primary responsibility, I got a chance to work with many of the other kids in the special day class. A lot of those kids were emotionally disturbed and there were some pretty challenging days. Part of the day, this class was integrated with the rest of the school population. They would eat lunch and have recess with the other children. I got to know lots of other kids at the school because they came over and visited me at lunch or recess. Part of each day, I work with William on a one-on-one basis. I would support him with his regular schoolwork, and then I would take him out for physical education because he was not able to do what the other kids were doing. The Humboldt County Office of Education sent over a physical therapy specialist to give me some ideas about appropriate exercises for William. Sometime during the year, I decided I would give college another chance. I discovered I had a talent for working with kids, and I felt good about myself when I was mentoring and counseling them. After the summer, I returned to college, and this time I felt like I belonged there for a specific purpose and goal in mind. That was the first time I seriously thought of becoming a teacher. While I took classes, I continued to work at different schools and had many other kinds of educational experiences as a teacher's aide. Being in college now seemed to make sense because I had a reason to be there. I now had a real objective and goal in life and I seemed to be feeling a lot happier too. After I graduated from college with a liberal studies degree, I signed up for the teaching credential program. While high school was not my favorite time in life, I found college was different. I met a lot of cool people and formed lasting friendships with others We're working toward the same goal. If that wasn't enough, I met my future wife, Debbie, in one of my education classes. In fact, things couldn't have been much better for me at that point in my life. I've never shared most of this story with anyone, but the experiences I went through only served as further motivation. I'm sharing my story because everyone has their own life experiences. Sometimes we don't make good choices, And at other times we're just searching to make sense of it all. Children are no different. They come to school with their own life experiences and sometimes they need teachers and other school personnel to be a stabilizing and guiding force for them. At times we need to draw upon our past struggles to offer support and wisdom to our students. This is the story of how I fell in love with teaching and the joys and challenges that this noble profession provided to me over the course of 31 years. I hope that you will gain a sense that the life of a teacher is full time and consuming, but one that ultimately can bring endless joy and satisfaction.
2: So good. Yeah, just beautiful. And and for our listeners, you know, that was just part of Pete's introduction in his beautiful book. And I think one of the things that has really struck Wynn and I is that throughout the book, it comes across that your intention is to tell your true story, but you also are are literally paving the way for new teachers. Um, And in my experience, there aren't a lot of resources that are this first person storytelling about your life as a teacher. And, and unpacking all the elements because there's so much there. So I guess one of the questions that we have for you, Pete, is where does this desire to, to give back to new teachers just coming into the profession, where does that come from, your, your desire to do that?
1: I think a lot of it has to do with uh, my own experiences. In uh, when I went through school, until you uh, get into uh, your fifth year, you didn't really even get into a classroom. So I yeah. I was working as an aide. So I had, you know, some idea of what it would be like. But until you're the one like steering the ship, it's really uh, you know, you there's yeah. so much theory, okay. but there's not a whole lot of practical day-to-day experience. And so suddenly you're just kind of tossed into the fire and and while you feel ready in some ways, it's so overwhelming at first to to be tossed into this situation where you just feel like, oh, my gosh, I'm the one in charge here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, nobody told me what to do when when a, a child throws up and, and nobody told me what to do when, the, you know, a child um, comes to school and they're they're sad because um you know, their grandpa's sick or they, they, you know, heaven forbid they had to put a, a dog down or something heartbreaking. And, uh, and you've got kids that aren't getting along and you've got kids with major anger problems and you're trying to figure out your, what am I going to do for social studies? And all of these things are kind of like you, thrown at you at once. Some of them you're prepared for. Some of them you're not prepared for at all. And as a young teacher, I think it's natural tendency to want to like, okay, I wanna prove myself. I wanna show the world that I'm this confident person that can handle any situation. Well, the reality is <laughs> that just about every teacher goes through this, this uh, you know, on-the-job training phase. For some, it probably lasts um, a few months. For some, it's a year. For some, it's several years. And so, uh, you know, you have to learn to rely on other people to help you through that time, which means letting your guard down, admitting that you don't have it all together yet, which for some is, is hard to do. And then that is certainly fostered by having a great administrator who realizes that and encourages um, uh, peers to reach out to you and help if it's hard for a new teacher to say hey i need some help in this area and so having mentors that way for me i i ended up doing the same the same thing i thought you know after i felt confident in my abilities i thought i i'm gonna be that mentor teacher and um so i had four student teachers and um you know i did i was in this business long enough that uh Quite a few of my former students became teachers, one one that I actually taught with the last five years of my career. So, I mean, you know, it's that's definitely a weird thing to be teaching with somebody that you used to teach.
2: That's a full um, circle moment for sure.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah.
2: But I love how you write about that full continuum, you know, of, of helping the new teachers leaning into mentors that were impactful for you. And some of what you share in the book is so potent because there's some practical advice that new teachers need to know about. On page 24, you write about ice packs, you know, and the wisdom that you gleaned about working with all of these constituent groups. You've got the students, but you've got parents, fellow teachers, you know, dealing with administrators and, you know, all of that I'm sure was very hard to rewind and think about. So we're curious when you think now about writing the book. What were the hardest parts to write and what were your favorite parts to write?
1: Uh, it's for sure. It's uh, This might be a surprising answer, but I would say um, it's the students uh, in, in both respects. Certainly, it was just so much fun for me to think back and write about memorable students I've had, but in some cases, the stories were were kind of private and so Mm -hmm. I didn't feel right about writing about certain uh, things that happened, even though you know I changed their names and all that so in some cases I um I had to reach out to former students and tell them you know I'm writing this book and I'd really love to share your story but I I wouldn't want to do that without your permission yeah and so um And generally, the responses were were oh my gosh, I'm going to be in a book, uh," and so (laughs) on. I said, oh, of course, and and you know, I I would, you know, I'll I'll send out what I plan on writing just to get your approval. I didn't want to, you know, violate any kind of privacy, um, kind of concerns. So I loved I loved that part of things writing about kids and some of the. I don't know if we've got time. I want to share one of those. I had a second grade girl who I think I called Janet in the book. And um, she was telling me one day, we're sitting in class and she says, I'm raising money to take my family somewhere. And oh, that's really nice. Where are you, what, what, where are you guys going? Well, we've never, she's telling me very, and I, and she's a very honest kid. So I believed her right from the start. Well, we've never taken a vacation and we're going to take, and, and I'm trying to raise money so that we can take a vacation. Aww. Well, the rational part of me is like, yeah, you're in second grade. How the heck you? Know, do you know how expensive <laughs> this is? <laughs> of right. course, that's not, that's not your role as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Your role is to be encouraging. Mm-hmm. So I, I, you know, then think the next day I got a chance to talk to her a little more and I, Tell me a little bit more about this, and so she's telling me, you know I'm working at home and I'm doing all kinds of jobs, and well, where are you going and so i I won't mention the city, but she mentions a city to ninety miles to the north of us. It's not a a place that anyone would want to go to take a vacation. <laughs> and so but i just was like oh my gosh this is so beautiful and i knew it was true yeah. and who knows who knew if she you know how much money she really was well, what are you going to do when you're there well we're going to stay in a motel and we're i'm going to take my fam family out to dinner and i'm like oh my gosh this is just <sighs> like such a beautiful story and so i immediately move into um supportive helpful mode and i'm like oh in my head i'm like gosh if she doesn't if she's not able to raise the funds then i'm going to help this family out yeah and so i go home and i'm you know i'm telling retelling that story to my wife and she's like well now she's the voice of reason and wisdom <laughs> yeah you know, cool your jets buddy you know, let's you know you don't want to offend the family you know and and yeah. she made me pause and realize no I'm gonna let this is a huge important thing in this kid's life and yeah. so I thought well no I'm just gonna kind of monitor this was fairly early in the year mm-hmm. and so um as the year's going on I'm checking in with her how's your goal going and she's still raising money she knew exactly how much she needed and and uh, so uh, near the end of the year, it's probably two weeks of school left, and uh, all the kids go out to recess, and I'm on the I'm on the computer, and she's kind of a quiet kid, and she's still just standing there near me, and she says, "Mr. Springer, I did it," and I'm going, I wasn't <laughs> registering at first what she was refer, you know, what she was referring to, and so then it it hit me, and so of course I. I get up and told her how proud I was and hugged her and just said what, you know, what a great thing it was that she was doing this. And, and you could just see the pride in her eyes, which of course warmed my heart. So, anyway, the year finishes and I don't, you know, the next all summer long, I'm like wondering, uh, did, How'd the vacation go? What what happened? You know, I want to know more of the story. Well, the next year is just one of those things. She's in, I think then she was in fourth grade. I think that was third grade when that happened. So they're on a different schedule. I just didn't see her, you know? And as time passes, you're curious, but I never had an opportunity to to talk to her about it. And so I always always had this kind of wonder in my head. And then I think she ended up going to a different school at some point. So I never got the answer. Yeah. So, so but there, there's more to the story. Great. Bear with me. So, my, her senior year of high school, and I had lost touch by with her pretty much after that. But I you mean, know, I lived in the same city that I taught in, so I'm constantly running into former students just going about day to day errands, which is, is hysterical and it's <laughs> yeah. When you're in the you're in the grocery store and some kids from the, down the aisle, Mr. Springer! <laughs> you know, and you turn your head, and the other shoppers are like looking at me, like, you know, who the heck's this guy? He doesn't look like anybody famous, but. You're a celebrity. Any, yeah. yeah. You are in their eyes, right? Yeah. So, anyway, I walk into this, uh, you know, I'm just happen to be. Going into a fast food restaurant, and there she is working behind the counter. And so, and we recognized each other right away. She just had one of those faces. <sighs> so we're like, I'm hugging her, and we're, you know, it's not a great time to catch up because she's at work. But <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, so I said, well, how long have you been working here? And let me, you know, tell me what's going on. And she said, well, I started working here uh, a year and a half ago because I wanted to earn money for my own car. And uh-huh. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is like, I mean, it, immediately I thought back to her goal when she was a kid and, yeah. uh, and, and she said, yeah. And I, and I just recently made that happen. And so I, yeah. I, I couldn't stay around. I got out of there cause she was at work, but I, you know, I'm riding home in my, in my car. And I got tears in my eyes because yeah, it was such sure. a beautiful moment to see anybody achieve their dreams. And to continue that relationship, And I've now I've been to her housewarming party. I I watched her get married. Uh, I would have been at her baby shower until I had a recent health situation. Yeah. So you wow. know they're not they're not just students for that year. Right. I mean I, I I and I'm not anyone special. There's there's plenty of other teachers that feel this way. They they become yeah. our our students for life. Yeah
0: yeah, yeah.
1: And, and then on the flip side i said you know the hard part was also writing about things that tragedies sadness that happened to students and of course that, that the same thing I, there's no way i could write about something like that without their permission but you right. know one of, one of the situations that happened was just tragic was um one of my favorite classes and uh they were uh, a bunch of the parents and kids were at school. Um, this was probably about two weeks before school had started and they were having a a soccer game at school playing on the school field. And during the middle of the game, one of the parents had a heart attack oh and my. passed away. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so this is all in front of all these kids and everything. And then suddenly, you know, here they are in this this. They're, you know, they're under your care, under your responsibility. And you're like, Oh my gosh, am I, am I ready for this? And do I want to make sure I do the right thing? And so, yeah, Yeah. it was a challenging experience and, but I wondered if she would be okay with me sharing that. And so I reached out to her and, and she's turned out great. I'm so proud of her it was just a devastating thing for anybody to have mm-hmm. in their life. So
2: oh right? so
1: those kinds of things were, were hard to write about.
0: And, yeah. and amazing that you, I mean, you were teaching your kids about vulnerability and respect by asking them to tell their stories in the book. I mean, you're still teaching them in that mm-hmm. situation.
1: I, I feel like that's, that's one of my biggest roles. I mean, there was the academic part of school, but a, a teacher you have to create a level of trust within your yep. classroom and so the first thing i tried to have my student teachers do was to develop that level of trust and mm-hmm. let your kids know you care about them and and love them and you're going to look out for them no matter what
2: right yeah yeah all or- of that necessary to to do that in order to do the learning right mm-hmm.
1: absolutely
0: mm-hmm. yeah we are big believers in collaboration and community. Can you talk about how collaboration and community has played a role in your career?
1: Sure, uh, I've I, I'm a huge believer in those two uh, words myself. Um, community, I think you know, I've was raised with the idea of giving back, and so community service is is a big part of my life. I love the Opportunity in retirement to to uh, give back. So, one of the things I've been doing the last year and a half is um, uh, going into um, assisted living and reading to seniors there. And so, and a lot of those uh, people have cognitive issues, so it's tricky to know well what do I read that's that's um, stimulating for them, but the, and that they can follow. But I don't want to you know be condescending at all so um and i love that it's one of the best parts of my week i yeah. i just love I, I you know i i'm loving retirement but i miss certain aspects of the job and one was just reading reading the reading aloud it's like being an actor an actress you know you get to adopt a different persona change your voice be all animated And so, I mean, that's, that was always part of the fun for me. And kids, kids would be like, you know, you you stop at a a point in the story and then you pick it up the next day and start reading. And, you know, I'm using my grandma voice and they, they're like, stop, that's not the voice. (laughs) I'm trying to read, what did I sound like yesterday? I mean, there's just so many comical things that happen in school like that. Yeah. And collaboration. Oh my gosh! I mean, uh, so many things are always better when we're working with somebody else. I mean, look at the two of you, for example. I mean, you, you know, Win's podcast would be fabulous. I'm sure if she was doing it by herself, but a partnership just adds a little bit more to it. <laughs>
0: a lot uh, more. <laughs>
1: uh, I, I'm on. Um, I'm on a. Humboldt County Children's Author Festival Committee, which has helped bring um, 25 children's authors to our local schools every two years, nationally known people, which requires all kinds of work, okay. mm-hmm. uh, fundraising efforts. I'm in charge of the, their their travel. So I'm the one that oh gets them here. And, you know, it requires a lot of teamwork. And so <laughs> it's like a 30 person committee, which I happen to be in the minority, cause I'm the only male on the committee, but yeah, <laughs> it doesn't bother me, you know, we're committed to literacy.
2: But it seems like you did such a good job of teaching those nuanced things about community and collaboration to your students along the way, because often you write about staying in touch with your students and how they reach out to you, not just because you were a former teacher, but because you become a mentor to them and you're very generous with your support. Uh, very impactful. It's some of that that you've written about has been some of the most beautiful things about really knowing that you've made a mark, um, and that you're you know all those expressions about paying it forward and doing what's right. You demonstrate that beautifully.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. I I just think we're, we're all like to me, we're all like kind of actors in the game of life, and if if we all adopt a um, attitude of what can I do to make my little circle, the world a better place. I mean, it's just such a, it's it's just such a, an ideal um, society. And so, and, and I, you know, there are so many giving good people and, you know, it's it's easy to get a little bit jaded and, you know, all the negativity in the world and such, but I just, you know, I'm reminding myself constantly of uh, how much good there is mm-hmm. and and kids are like the center of that especially young children i mean i i've said this before and i'll i'll say it again that adults could could learn a few things from kids and one of the most beautiful thing about children especially younger children they accept everybody mm-hmm. for however they are they just want to be friends mm-hmm. and they they you know, it's just this unfiltered goodness, and so if somebody in the class uh, is having a bad day and is sad or whatever, kids just immediately gravitate towards that person because they don't want to see that person in pain. Yeah. And then you, I think of us adults, and and you know, I'm not referring to any any of us specifically, but just the idea that we kind of form these little clicky groups and you mm-hmm. you get self-identified in your politics and you just like it's just that's not the way it should be we should yeah. be accepting of, of different viewpoints and and kids are kids do that so yeah. so pay attention adults because your kids have it figured out
2: yeah <laughs> and <laughs> having serious. teachers having teachers in place to highlight that goodness, you know, mm-hmm. it's the catching them doing good, right, and really offering praise in those moments. Because I think even for children these days, there are risks, right, in, in doing what's right or what feels appropriate in the moment, because there, there are so many rules, right, and, right. and risk of ridicule and, and so much for kids that they've got to think about every move they make and how may they become a target. By doing something that's right, and so having that teacher there to say, "Yeah, yep, that was awesome." Yeah, you- well,
1: and uh, I I want I just want to throw this in, you know, and one of the things I'd like to do in my classroom was instead of just, you know, everybody likes praise, and teacher praise is great, but I also had where kids could pick up, you know, we I called it the friendship club. So when somebody did something nice that they wanted to share, the Mm-mm. students would write down whatever little anecdote. Oh, I was feeling lonely. And so, and and Emma played jump rope with me. And so then, you know, at the end of the day, it'd be a few minutes left. I get out the compliment sheets, the friendship sheets and read those off. And I'm telling you, that's it, just like, you know, it's reinforcing that feeling of community. Yeah. And kids start looking out for each other and, you know, they're mm-hmm. excited to mm-hmm. write about when somebody was kind to them. So mm-hmm. I I really do think there are all of these kind of aspects of teaching that have that go far beyond the regular curriculum.
0: That's true. You know, one of the questions I got actually from Vicki that I asked my kids at the end of the day is how did you help?
1: Absolutely, yeah.
0: and it's yeah. and, you know starting with great teachers like both of you um, is just it it we can pay those lessons and reinforce those lessons that they're learning with each other and in classrooms it's just wonderful. Yeah, Super.
2: not leaving it to if right, but right. I'm, I'm that's my expectation as a parent as a teacher that you were helpful. Tell me more, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: great idea.
2: Yeah. Well, we've got like just one more kind of wrap up question. We know you've got some future thoughts that you share in the book about education and, you know, it's a a tough time, I think, for people in lots of different ways, but before we let you go, Pete, do you have anything in particular that you want to share about your thoughts about teaching in the future, your hopeful wishes, anything that comes top of mind?
1: Yeah. Um, Lots of things. Um, first off, this is kind of a, a message to uh, administrators and parents and fellow teachers that that it's not all about test scores. There's so much more to a school than than your language arts scores. You know, we want to raise a generation of decent people, and yeah. so uh, and that's that's what I was trying to do as a teacher. Um, impact my students that way. Um, And um, a concern of the future, and and I I really am worried about this, is that we have not empowered our teachers. And um, people feel a sense of hopelessness when you're working your butt off, given 110%. And yet, if you feel like, you know, there's somebody that really doesn't even know what what um, daily life is like as a teacher that's being critical of you yeah and then you know that's led to this kind of a beat down mentality and i've seen it more than once where a lot of teachers are saying well shoot who needs this i'm gonna just move to do some other profession and yeah. it's just kind of that saddens me and then not only does that you know? Have we moved into this nationwide teacher shortage? But then, what I'm, I'm afraid, what's going to happen? Ha- I see it happening. Is we've kind of lowered the standards for becoming a teacher, less uh, less schooling. Well, we just need some bodies. Well, it shouldn't be that. We should not. We should never just settle for ordinary. And so, part of it is the pay. But a lot more than that, it's the respect. And I don't mean bow down, and oh, you're the greatest thing on earth, but to value a teacher's opinion, to realize they're doing their best they can, and they need parent support, and they need their administration support. And if you don't have those things, and you're trying to also give that back, right? I'm there to support your kids. I'm going to help your kids in every way I can think of. And I'm willing to put myself out there. I'm willing to go to your kids' soccer games on the weekend. All those kinds of little things that teachers yeah. do behind the scenes that lots of people don't even know about. But you know, in return, you know, I need your support, and because mm-hmm. it, it is a partnership, it's not it, it's not a one person job. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's true. Beautiful. Yep. Well. <laughs> Yeah, what are that you was working wonderful. on? That was. What are you working on now?
1: Well, I'm I'm you know, the writing this teaching teaching book was never really part of my plan. It was just uh something that kind of <laughs> happened. You know, I um in my head, I'd always thought about, well, I I retired um about 3 years prior to what I had planned for because of some health reasons, but I've um I've focused on really looking after myself, I spent I feel like I spent a lifetime. um, And I'm not I'm not trying to build myself up. But like a lot of teachers, you just get so invested in your students lives. And I'm trying to be, you know, my personal life, I'm trying to be a good husband, I'm trying to be a good father. And at some point, I realized I'm not paying enough attention to myself. And, um, and my health began to suffer. So when i retired that was one of the reasons i retired to really focus on taking care of myself well i i've I've, de- I've done a good job of that and i'm i'm feeling a lot better in general God. but um you know when i retired i wrote this uh, i i just started i went through what i'd call a debriefing period where i'd start writing down my thoughts about my career. I mean, I spent 31 years. I got a lot. I've got a lot to say. So yeah. i kind of was journaling, and then uh, next thing you know, I I realized, gosh, you you should share this with the world. You've got some important things to say. Yeah. So that just kind of happened in the back of my mind. Even when I was teaching, I thought, no, I want to write. I you know, I hadn't done that much writing, but i would written lots of skits and things for kids and. Put my, you know, we we would put on plays and productions for the school and that those kinds of things, but I felt like, and I I still feel like this. I, you know, when I retired, I I still had more to give, and and so I feel like I've kind of moved into uh, the role of teaching through writing, and so I want to write contemporary stories about the problems that kids are dealing with in an entertaining way, but also, um, you know, have subtle messages, teaching messages within the story. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm at. I completed, um, I have a story that I just sent to an editor that's uh, being, uh, critiqued right now. And, um, and then I figure <laughs> I'll give a year of uh, the old college try and see if I can get published. But if not, I, I, this one's going to, this one's going to get to the finish line. If if I self publish it, that's fine. It's not, there's nothing, there's nothing to be ashamed about that. It's, it's, it it still holds value. So, uh, and I'm just really excited about that. I I joined a writing critique group and we meet uh, once a week, again, that spirit of collaboration, helping Mm -hmm. each other. Mm -hmm. And I I get invested in their projects just like um, my own. So that's where I'm at.
2: Wonderful. That's so good. good. Teaching
0: through writing. I love it.
2: Yeah. And thank you for all of this, Pete. And I think as we wrap up here, the one thing that we may have not covered was in our like pregame chat. I'm not sure for our listeners if we really addressed why the title of your book is They Call Me Mom. So maybe as we roll on out of here we need to add that into the mix if we call you mom that's probably not a good thing but you got used to your students doing that didn't you
1: i did and uh you know i uh high school teachers and middle school teachers they might not get this but i guarantee you all elementary teachers are going to understand the title because kids were forever Calling their teacher mom, including male teachers, <laughs> and so so when they did that, you know, rather than correct them and act all insulted or something, I just you know, you just and, and a lot. It's it's so innocent. They're just saying, you know, mom, I don't get how to do this this math or whatever, you know. They, and of course, and right. sometimes they catch themselves. Oh, they're kind of embarrassed. <laughs> and whatever. Right. A lot of the time, they don't even hear themselves say it. And so I'm just kind of inside, I'm just kind of smiling, but I, I just took it as uh, like the ultimate compliment, you know, I mean, what yes. a beautiful thing to be compared to a mother. Yeah. And so, um, and, uh, I guess, as I told you, um, before, um, we, uh, started recording this, that, um. Uh, I've even had kids occasionally call me grandma. So I go, okay, now now you've taken it a little too far. If, 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 I, if grandma and I look alike, then one of us has a problem.
2: Like a Mrs. Doubtfire moment there, exactly, right? Or exactly. something, right? Well, Wynn and I believe oh, there's good. no better title for a book than They Call Me Mom. And right. Pete Springer, it was such a joy to spend some time with you today. So Thank good.
1: You. Thank you so much. And and thanks for what you're doing. Um, you're supporting your fellow writers. I know both of you have written books. And um, so it's a beautiful thing. I love being a part of that collaboration. And, and I look forward to a long time friendship. Oh,
0: thank you, Us Pete. Too. Thank you so much, Pete.
1: Okay. Bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening. Our music is composed for Sharing the Heart of the Matter by the exquisitely talented duo of Jack Canfora and Rob Koenig. For show notes and more great inspiration, please visit our site at sharingtheheartofthematter.com.